just a few weeks ago, I began a new topical sermon series on that topic of work. And I said from the beginning, we're going to be dividing that into three sermons that are more negatively focused and then three more positively focused on the topic of work. And we're in that third and final sermon that is a little bit more negatively focused. And we're going to be looking today on idleness. Uh, first, we're going to look at a situation as described in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Verses 6 through 15, and then an Old Testament text from Proverbs 6. The Thessalonians text is on page 1177 of your pew Bibles. Otherwise, it's on the screen behind me. Writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother." And then I encourage you again to turn to Proverbs chapter 6. We'll be looking at a few verses, uh, 6 through 11. That's found on page 629 if you're looking in your pew Bibles. Again, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we are told, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? Will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Earlier this week, entirely without intending to, I turned on a podcast I was listening to, and the name of this particular episode was, It's Worse Than You Think. And what was worse than we think was a situation that the podcasters were talking about, and that was the work situation in the United States. That as of late, there has been a growing trend of able-bodied, especially young men, who are choosing not to work. 
And while there was a lot of discussion in this about why that might be or what could possibly be done to change that fact, the mere fact of the matter was that was focused on that there are approximately 7 million able-bodied young men able to work but who aren't. And they said, that's a problem. And I get it from the very beginning. Don't we all? I mean, these first two sermons that we've heard, the first one from Ecclesiastes, the, the meaninglessness of work, how you can pour yourself into something your whole life long only to watch it fall apart after your death. Or, as we looked last week, that even though we were created to work, there are those frustrations, those difficulties, those weeds, thorns, and thistles that make work hard, difficult, and problematic. And when you look at the difficulty of work, we can understand why someone might say, I don't want anything to do with it. I want to opt out of the whole process. But is that an option a biblical option? Is that something that we can consider? Now, for those who are visiting, I want to be clear. I don't often preach like this, but there was an alliteration that came to my mind, and so that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to let you know in advance that there's going to be three points that we're going to be looking at, and they all start with the letter P. We're first of all going to identify the problem, and then we're going to look at the principles that are taught in our two different texts. And then thirdly, we're going to look at, well, how do we put those principles into practice as our third letter P? So let's start with the problem. When we're reading in 2 Thessalonians and you see the situation in Thessalonica, it's clear that there was a problem that there were among the people of the Thessalonians, some who were walking in idleness. And not only is that happening, but it's very clear that Paul and, and his fellow apostles are saying, this is not right. It doesn't fit with the example that was set for them. It doesn't fit with the teachings that we have given. And it's, it's hurting others. And therefore, discipline should be used if this doesn't change. However, while the broad e issue is easy to identify, people walking in idleness when we dig in, who this is talking to and why they're not working is, is not entirely clear. And there are three options that are talked about. Most likely, it's a situation like we see in America. Young people capable of working, but who are choosing not to. And for whatever reason that might have been, people speculate as to what it is. Instead of working themselves, they de decided to lend in, lean into and depend upon the generosity of their fellow believers. Taking from them instead of providing for their own needs. Now, while that's the most likely of options, there's also the possibility with Paul mentioning his own example and his own work in their presence, that he's talking about these traveling teachers who would come to Thessalonica and, and maybe spend some time there, but instead of working themselves, they would just depend on the church to feed them and to house them and take advantage of them, unlike what Paul had done when he was visiting there. And that could be the situation he's addressing. Or, again, while it might be a lot less likely, it also could be referring to wealthy people. 
People who had enough money to provide for their own needs, and so they didn't feel the need to work. They just could lay around the rest of their days. But while that's the issue, to be abundantly clear, that's not the heart of the problem. And this is what the problem that that issue caused, and it's twofold. The first issue, uh, the first problem is that in not laboring and not being employed, they were taking their time to fill it with negative things. As it says in verse 11, instead of being busy at work, they were busy bodies. And so instead of using their energy, their time, and their efforts toward good things, they were distracting others from their work. They were engaging in gossip with one another. They were stirring up problems and issues between those who were trying to work and themselves. And so what they were filling their time with, what they were doing was negative rather than positive. But then even deeper than that, the biggest of all of the problem is identified in verse 13. When Paul gives the command, my brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. You see, the underlining assumption to this entire text is the assumption that the church is here, is commanded, and is mandated to help those who are in need. That we do have the responsibility to collect our resources and work together so that when people aren't capable of taking care of themselves, we, the church, come together and support them and carry them through those difficult times. That's a mandate behind all of this. And yet, when someone who doesn't need those help, that help and that assistant, chooses to take advantage of those who are working and trying to support others, it's wearying. Work in and of itself is hard, it's difficult, there are trials and struggles in it. But how much harder is your work when those that you are working toward, that you are serving, you feel like they are taking advantage of you rather than appreciating it or even needing it? How many programs that are meant to do good for society and help those in need end up crumbling and falling apart because the people are just abusing it. And it's not the people who need the resources that are taking it, but it's those who are just taking advantage of this system. And that, of all, is the biggest problem. It was causing a burden. It was draining the emotional and the, the spiritual call to serve one another. So if that's the problem, what's the principle? What was the, the driving issue behind all of this. And here's where we're going to look at our text from Proverbs. As I mentioned from the start of this sermon series, one of the main things that drove me toward preaching on this was my work through the Proverbs and, and looking at that in my personal devotions and how often the issue of work, positively encouraging good discipline and hard work and, and criticizing the sluggard, how often that comes up as a theme. And it's seen in the text that we read. Instead of just pointing to another person, the proverb highlights an insect, the ant. And it says, consider the ant. There's no one there, no leader, no head that's driving the ant, forcing them to work. But the ant does work, and the ant works diligently. 
Even when food is in abundance, they don't sit back and say, ah, well, good. It's all over the place. Why do we have to worry? No, it's constantly collecting, gathering, and storing because there will become a time when that food is more scarce and then their storage is what's going to sustain them and carry them and keep them alive. And that's the principle that's being taught. Working hard now is hard work. But it's necessary. And if you take it too easy and if you go too slow with things and you decide, ah, I can handle it tomorrow. Ah, I'd rather do this today. The work will still be there. Then before you know it, as the text says, poverty will come on you like a robber and like an armed man want. All of a sudden, the need is going to rise and you are not going to be prepared to meet that need. And the consequences will be devastating. It's the principle that gets repeated in 2 Thessalonians. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And the principle stands. What is true for the animal kingdom is true for humanity. If you want something in life, then you have to work for it. And if you don't work for it, you won't have it and you will get in trouble. And so I thought about that. Is that really true? Is everything we need in life, do you have to work for it? And some of the exceptions, you could say, well, what if, you, what if you win the lottery? Well, the reality is all of the money that's won from the lottery is money that has been taken from other people that also were hoping for that quick and easy way out. Their hard earnings spent on these tickets that for them gave them nothing. And even statistics show those that win the lottery often lose their money in a very short amount of time. So even there, the principle stands. If you want riches, you have to work for it or you're just taking it from someone else. But here's the one exception I could think of. Our salvation. In fact, our place in heaven is one of those things that if you try to work for it, if you try to, through your effort, achieve a place in heaven, you are actually diminishing the incredible work of what Jesus has done for us. The great gospel message is that there is nothing that we can do of our own strength, will, or power to earn our place in heaven, to fix our relationship with God that we have broken through our sin. But that's why Jesus came. He came to do the work for us, to sacrifice his body on the cross, to give his body and his blood, and then to reign victoriously and raise victoriously from the grave on the third day, achieving for us everything necessary for us to be in a right relationship with God. And the more we try to work, the more it undermines that effort. That is God's grace. But I think that's often why we struggle to receive it as a gift of grace. Because like everything else, we assume we have to earn it. We have to work for it. And so we try. But in reality, we end up diminishing the work. Here's one other caveat I want to say about the principle of needing to work for all that you want. It's a hard thing to look at, but it's necessary to say in this context. While it is certainly true... That if you want something, you must work for it. And if you don't work for it, you won't get it. The opposite is not true. 
that if you just work hard enough, you will achieve everything that you want to work for. You might spend a lot of time studying for a test, but in the end, still not get a full straight A. You can devote yourself to a certain position or a place in your company that you want and are, are striving to get, but you will see other people promoted ahead of you. You will try to build a business and give your labor and work hard in order to make it succeed, but because of market status or other issues outside of your control, watch it collapse. Unfortunately, the inverse is not true. That hard work will automatically lead towards success and achievement. But the opposite is, you will not get it if you don't work for it. So if that was the problem, and that's the principle, the problem being people not working, the principle being that if you want something, you must work for it, how do we put that into practice? How does that apply? And I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but it's necessary to start with that group of people in the opening illustration and those who are most likely taking advantage of others in Thessalonica. And that's to address the fact that you are called to work. Again, we get it. It's hard. And there all are all kinds of distraction in our world where it's way easier to just put things off or, hey, as long as your needs are being met, by somebody else, you just sit back and, and enjoy life. But that's not what God calls of us. God calls us to use our bodies. God created us to work, and even in a fallen world, we must work. Because when you don't, you have to realize you are taking, you are stealing from others. All those food, that food you must eat comes from someone's effort. All the clothes that you wear is purchased by someone else's labor. The place where you live is being paid for by someone else's intense work. Don't take advantage of others. Work yourself diligently and quietly. Now, like I said, that has to be addressed, but I don't think that I'm speaking to very many in this congregation this morning. This is a church that enjoys employment and, and values work for the most part. But that's where we do have to look at other areas of in life. Because if the principle is, what I want, it must be worked for, well, let's ask, what do we want in life? We had the opportunity this morning again to come to this baptismal font. And as parents, we not only make the promise, but we want our children to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ, to know him and to fall in love with him. And if that's what we want, that takes work. It takes work to make sure you're setting aside the time to tell the stories, to say the prayers, to show them your relationship with the Lord growing and developing. And to correct them when they do the wrong thing. That's work that oftentimes parents want to say, ah, let's leave it right now. Or it's not that big of a deal. But if you don't do that work consistently, you won't get what you want. In terms of children growing in the faith. Or think of our church. We make promises to the children too and we want a church where there is a nursery and where there's children in worship and, and good Sunday school programs and, and youth groups and all kinds of other things that are going on where, where we all can be encouraged in the faith. We want that. 
But if that's gonna take place, someone has to step forward and give of their time and their training and their learning so that they can teach and share with others. And if, if no one steps forward, then those things don't happen. And as it is with the programs for our children, it's for other programs. Again, we want a church that's going to be known in our community as a loving place. We want our church to grow. We want people to know of Christ. But it takes work, effort, time in order to go forth and, and sacrifice our discomfort in order for those things to take place. Let's keep the list going. We want a deeper relationship with God, to know him better, to be known by him, to know his blessings of life. That takes work, takes the diligent of opening up his word every single day and spending time in it, of praying to him at all times and working to grow that relationship. The list could go on and on. You want a spouse? It takes work. You want a good relationship with your spouse. It takes effort. You want children. You want them to grow. You want to have a comfortable life. All of those things will require your effort, your time, your skill, and your labor. Even though this is the third of what I said is going to be more of a negative sermon, I wanted a lot to get away from the, eh, work is hard and you have to do it. But in the end, I don't think we can get away from that in the world that God created and especially in a fallen world. If we want something in life, it takes effort and work in order to try to achieve it. And so we're called to diligently use the gifts and talents that God has given us to give our time and our effort, our, if we have it, to serve. Again, this is not referring to those who, for whatever reason, temporary injury, disease, or illness are incapable of working. The church is called to support them, to not grow weary in doing good in order to help those who need that help. But it is a warning to those who don't need that help but are taking advantage of it. You will hurt our ministry. You will pull from us rather than bless us. And the question before us should continue to be, what gifts do I have? Where is God calling me to give of my time? Not just in the workforce, but in serving his kingdom and in building it and doing and giving the effort of my time, even my discomfort, so that his name is magnified and his kingdom is built. As we contemplate that, especially those looking for work, may God bless us with his spirit of direction. Let's seek that in our prayer. Father in heaven, as your children, we thank you for the gifts, for the talents, and even for the visions that you have given to us about what we do want to see from this life and from this world that you have created. And yet forgive us for often giving in to the temptations of leaving that work to just a few, of taking advantage of the labor of others or assuming that, well, someone else will just step forward when you are calling us. And I pray that you would give us visions and ideas and, and support when we seek to find how we can best 
serve you through our efforts. Not only the actual areas where we are employed for finances, but in our homes, in our lives, and even in our relationship with you. Lord, forgive us when we've been too idle. Forgive us for being sluggards and lazy with our time, and I pray that we would use all of who we are and all of the time that you give us to give back to you the gifts that you have first given to us so that your kingdom may be built and your name glorified and honored, especially for the work that you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray these things. Amen.